You're listening to The Bookstack with Annie, Nia, and Sydney. Hello, friends. Welcome to the sixth chapter of The Bookstack. I'm Annie. I'm Sydney. And I'm Nia. This week, Nia, Sydney, and I have compiled a stack of books that discusses what we feel are interesting magic systems. We go beyond witches and wizards casting spells upon people and objects. Different cultures represented in the world in different periods throughout time view magic in different ways. Just thinking about the movies that I have watched recently that are mostly Disney because I've got four kids, I have viewed many different magic systems. I viewed family magic based on a miracle, human shifting to animal, sea monsters shifting into humans, rings bringing power to the holder and helping them manipulate time and others. All of these systems are different, but many follow the same basic principle, something otherworldly coming into our world, helping the wielder manipulate our natural laws in fantastic ways. Most of the titles that we have chosen are also the first in a series, which goes to show how complicated it is to develop a magic system and how much readers love the idea of magic in our world. Hopefully you are able to pick up a title or two and expand your thoughts and expectations of how magic can be used in storytelling. All right, Sydney, would you like to share your titles? I would love to share my titles. I have three books today and I'm very excited to share them because I I really love these three titles that I picked. The first is the series by Charlie N. Holmberg called The Paper Magician. It's a YA historical fantasy series that takes place in Edwardian England, which I think is fun because everyone jumps back to Victorian England and everyone does the steampunk Victorian England and she takes it further back to the like 1901 so that it's a little bit more unique and, and not as frequently touched on, which I really, really like. What years are the Edwardian years technically? You know, it's okay if you don't. I sure don't, but I can ask the That's Google. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. The almighty Google. Because <laughs> I hear gonna... words like the Victorian era, the Edwardian era. The... We don't actually know what time period right. So the eras always are whatever era that person was in power. And he was actually only in power from 1901 to 1910, according oh, so to the So it's a nine-year period. It is a nine-year period. <laughs> okay. But thank you. the era had very specific clothing styles that changed with Victoria coming to power. Mm. So Edwardian England is different enough from Victorian England just because of the fashion, which goes back to the dress code by mm. Richard Ford that connection yeah that uh that it was actually like an fashionably important era all right thank you so yeah so this series takes place in edwardian england and has schools that teach those who are selected how to be capable of doing magic using a specific man-made material so they are taught how to understand the basic principles that other people can't and they're it's only for those who are inclined toward magic anyway so not everyone can do it not everyone can get in it's very selective when they graduate, they're given an apprenticeship where they can only manipulate one specific man-made material. They have to swear themselves, dedicate themselves, uh, do this whole ceremony that binds them to that specific material. And from that day forward, they can only ever manipulate that one material. So it's a very important rite of passage. The most highly coveted of the magic types are the ones that manipulate metal, but there's also those who manipulate glass where you have mirrors, things like that, as well as mm-hmm. physical glass objects, plastic. It goes down the line with all of these different man-made creations. And the least desirable is paper because people think that paper is just simplistic. Paper is amazing. Paper 
paper is amazing. Right? <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Paper is amazing. <laughs> oh, paper is fantastic. And by the title of this book, The Paper Magician, we know where it's headed, right? Right. But you have the main female lead, Sioni, and she starts, the story starts out with her graduation from this prestigious school for the magically inclined, where she was basically given tuition by a mysterious donor to attend the school because she was super, super poor and she couldn't afford to go on her own. And we do later in the series find out who the donor was. She graduates top of her class and those who graduate at the top of their class are supposed to be able to choose what field they want to go to. And it goes down the line from in ranking those who the spots that are available get filled. And the further down you graduate, the less options you have. So even though she has her heart set on apprenticing to do magic with metal because of the lack of masters in their fields, she doesn't get to pick. She is assigned to a paper magician and she is very, very upset about it. The magician that she's apprenticing under is a man, which is brought up as being very rare to not be paired with the same sex magician. So you know inherently because this is a YA book and she's paired with the opposite sex that there's going, it's going to be like a kissing book. It's it's a romance. I had to add that in all of mine too. Like beware, there is some romance here because it's YA, but it's okay. <laughs> all of Charlie Holmberg's books, she likes herself a good kissing book, but that literally is all you get. She is, it's very much a, a, a heartfelt, store. yeah, it's a heartfelt romance where they, it's like the story ends with a kiss and you're like, oh, and then they ride off into the sunset. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. You know? There's I like not. That. I I, like I enjoy that. her. I enjoy her books. She is actually a, a Utah author that has made it big, and I am so thrilled for her. She does premise that all of her books are kissing books, and I love that because she doesn't call them romances. She always refers to them as kissing books. I think it kind of sets the expectation of this is as far as it goes, but it's nice, warm, and gooey. Yeah, I like that. hundred percent. This is a super fun magic system because it has specific allowances and specific limits, and there's a decent amount of work that goes into creating the spells on the objects. You can't simply poof something to make it happen. So everything has to be very deliberate. Everything is very focused. Simple mistakes ruin everything with this magic system. In this world, people can't just poof magic systems and have things happen or unhappen or change. Everything is very, very deliberate. Building things that are small and working their way up to doing things that are more complicated, that have more intricate parts that take longer to build. Everything has to be built or created or manipulated over time, which I think is really cool because it it stops the ability of magic just fixing everything. So I you still that. have yeah to have those constraints. Like creative people need to have constraints. If you don't have them, everything becomes chaos. Exactly. And I think that's what makes a good magic system is that it does have limits. Hundred percent. I also think it adds a little bit. I mean, it's magic, but it's it's adding a little bit of realism. Of you can't just magically build something from scratch. You have to take the time to understand. You know, oh, I'm going to build this circuitry system. Okay, well, I have to understand. You can't have a broken circuit. It has to have a beginning in the middle of the end and there can't be any breaks and starting with something like that and working your way up. It's very realistic with an apprenticeship aspect there too. It's and she talks people can identify about how she had to do repetitions with the most simple spells and repetition and repetition and repetition. And then she slowly, you start throughout the story, she's building up to, to new things and bigger things. I like the magic and, books where they're not just all of a sudden good at this. Mm-hmm. And I like when I was reading through Gilded that we talked about with the folklore and Rumpelstiltskin, it says, you know, all magic 
project comes with a price. And that again, like what you said, Nia kind of puts it into the rules of how we function is that things aren't just made from nothing. There has to be some sort of learning curve. There has to be some sort of payment. The thing that I love about that too, with all systems that do this, including Charlie Holmberg's works, is that it makes the characters have to work harder and think more critically. They have to think their way out of the issues and figure it out. So you have more character development and you have more dynamic characters in general. It just allows for a more interesting story that doesn't have simple fixes. And I love that it's not a simple fix. So you have Sione that's thinking on her feet. She's working through her different situations with her head and not just magicking her way out of every confrontation, which I think is really important for a magic system to still not have be the easy way out. Yeah. This is the first in the series of The Paper Magician. There are three books in the series. This book came out in 2014. It is a complete series now. Charlie Holmberg has quite a few novels out now. They're all fun, fast reads with unique character names. They all have unique magic systems. They're all clever and fresh. She has one standalone novel that's in the same world as the Paper Magician trilogy, but everything else is very distinctly different from each of her other books. This book series was inspired by origami, and she thought about what that would, the paper folding and how intricate that has to be and how specific and precise. Mm -hmm. And that led into this world of different man-made magics. And each of her different series have a very different magic system. So each of them are unique and clever, but they're all fun and constrained in a way that makes them create that suspension of disbelief, which I really like. All of her books are available everywhere, but her books are frequently offered as Kindle daily deals. So for those people that are interested in e-reading and they want to give this book a try or one of her books, any of her books, they're all great. This is a great way to start. I can pay it, you know, 99 cents or $1.99 to try out a book. That's, you know, that's a reasonable expectation. Once you do it though, I fair warning, you're going to enjoy all of them and you're just going to keep buying her book. Once you start, you can't stop. It's like Pringles. You can't just have one. That's awesome. And I, I suspect these are probably would be available in most libraries too, both with the ebook platforms. There's multiple platforms there and you can get them from the library. So hundred percent because I have, I am positive. I've seen this one in the branches. So you have, oh, yeah, I have been wanting has to a very... read this one for years. For years, it's been on my list. It has such a pretty cover. Oh, the co- the covers are gorgeous. All of her covers are really captivating and engrossing and you just, it draws you in. And they're really the, unique. They are. The Paper Magician trilogy, I think is one of the most captivating, which is interesting because this was actually her first published novel. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. Usually yes. it takes a minute. Yes. I mean, it's not the first novel she ever wrote, but it's the first one that got published. Yeah. Hmm. So. All right. The second book in my stack is the Invisible Library series by Genevieve Cogman. This series also started started its debut in 2014. It's an eight book series that's YA fantasy that uses this fun idea of alternate worlds with library that connects all of the worlds together through doors that you can only pass through if you're a librarian sworn to the library. They still books I that like are unique. That. <laughs> As a student who's just finishing up in library science, I like that there might be some power that only I can get. You would enjoy this series greatly, <laughs> as would librarian Nia. Like this yeah, is... This one's on my list, but I have, haven't gotten to it yet. I have my phone out and I'm adding it right now. As you should. This series is really fun. Her writing develops through the course of her series. The first book like, is a really fun concept and series, even though sometimes it's a little bit predictable. It's not the most beautifully written book that you've ever read, but it's a really fun, fast read that keeps you on the edge of your seat because it's just like, oh, what's going to happen next? It's somewhat predictable, but you want to see if you're right. The librarians that are sworn to the library steal books that are unique to those realities 
in order to solidify the connection to that world and help keep the world stable. There are high order worlds that are run by dragons where magic that isn't dragon magic is slim to none. And then there are high chaos worlds that are controlled by fae where the stronger the stereotypical fae behavior follows a trope, the stronger they get so magic is abundant. Humans are in all of the worlds and are basically oblivious puppets to the dragons or fae's controlling their worlds and librarians <laughs> that basically act like Switzerland. <laughs> humans are just oblivious like these things are happening around you and you don't know what's happening yeah, and they... the librarians have all the power so <laughs> there we go how it should be <laughs> <laughs> we are our own magical kind it's it, it's it's fact <laughs> It's lore at this point. This is true. You have the main librarian, Irene, that is is going off and doing all of these very dangerous heists and diplomacy to try to buy books and, and all of these different antics. And the handsome dragon, Kai, that is sent to apprentice under her. The apprenticeship doesn't last long, but this is YA. So, of course, they fall in love. Like you do. Because, if, heaven forbid, a man and a woman have a working relationship that is platonic. platonic? Oh, no, we can't have that. It's up high. No, no. We're not, not high expectations weird expectations for children (laughs) (laughs) shenanigans that are always happening right you can't get away from them you just can't and it creates a happily ever after all the time it does it does but they in all eight books they are habitually saving the world from a series of villains that carry throughout the series i really enjoy the magic of what librarians can do with the language they're given the language of librarians that when someone else hears it it just sounds like it's their language but it has a power where they can make a statement in the language and people will automatically perceive what they said so that would be so handy she can use the language to tell doors to stay locked and that no matter what people do the door won't open or she can tell books to fly off the shelves or she can tell you that you perceive her to be a police officer and then you will talk to her as if she's a police officer and depending on how high of a magic world they're in the magic will last longer or or shorter comparatively it's it's a fun magic system where the language is used versus versus dragon that have power over an element like Kai has power over the water so natural elements which is why they're in high order worlds where there isn't a lot of magic because their magic is very elemental and it doesn't seem like magic to humans and then you have the fae with the power of the story the more the princess is in need of saving and falling for a prince the more powerful she gets and then she can start controlling more and more and more things like that. Additionally, you can tell that the author really enjoys literature herself because all of her characters have names that are nods to other famous, albeit usually obscure, characters in literature. Irene is a nod to... Usually obscure. (laughs) Some of them are... Some of them are... Okay. It's okay. are more obscure than others. Like she just, she pulls from very specific tropes in literature okay. to kind of tie things in. Her I like name, it. Irene, it's like a scavenger hunt. It's okay. She, she calls herself be. Irene Winters, which is a specific nod to Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, I wouldn't have caught that. I wouldn't have either. I love nope. that. And But I would maybe do some research to, to say, ah, this should be familiar. Hang on. Yeah. And I'd come back to it. Each of the librarians pick their own name that are okay. specific to a book that they or a series or an author that they really associate with. And so she gives you that little tidbit, but all of the characters in the world have these very specific names that you can tell are purposeful, which I really like. It just makes it fun and it is a fun nod to other books. All eight books are out. The last book came out recently. I binged it. I finished it. So I don't remember when I got it because I just got it and devoured it and gave it to my mother. So because there are eight books, that's kind of a long series for me. Do you think- But they're all really short. 
they're only like 200, 300 pages. But do you have to read the whole series to reach the conclusion? Or can you stop in the middle of the series and still feel some sort of completion? Each book has its own arc, but e- but the okay. series has an arc that follows all the way through. Okay. You can tell and- that her series, as she started getting offers to publish more books, and she started making it a longer series, you could tell some of the things that were designed from the beginning to flow mm-hmm. all the way through versus mm-hmm. some of the things that she was like, oh, I can pull this in. And you can kind of see some of the, you can kind of see some of that. She also recognizes it in her acknowledgments at the end of her last book that it started, it started out as a single story and then she got an offer to make a second one and then it just kind of okay. kept going and she realized that she had to create some kind of continuity. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Thank you. but all of them are out, but you can read the first one and just do the first one as its own standalone and decide if you like it. But they're all out so that if you want to binge them, you can. I probably will. It's fine. I actually, all three of the st- of the books that I picked, the series are complete. Look at that. I know. That's, that's helpful. You know, it is. <laughs> it's helpful. It's exciting. Yes. The last book in my series, in my stack, is the only one that was not released in 2014. It was released in 2007. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. It's <gasps> wow. Okay. It's a YA urban fantasy that is popular enough as it's built up a fan base that it had a movie made of it, which was it was fine yeah it's been made into a couple things and then it was made into a tv show that was significantly better okay it's the mortal instruments series by cassandra clare the first book is the city of bones it's a series of six there's a prequel trilogy that came out after that i actually like better but the city of bones was published first and it's a better introduction to the world like it's designed to introduce you to the world so even though the prequel series is kind of more fun to me my opinion the city of bones is still where you need to start there are so many series trilogies duologies in this world they're, she they're has just keep happening so many books published that are all within this world she just keeps yeah, they're all connected yeah. she keep adding to this world and the books are getting bigger and bigger i can't remember which one it is that i have but on the inside it's got a family tree uh-huh and it's really 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 helpful yeah so <laughs> i i don't know if you guys know this or not but this particular series started out as a fanfic oh or, oh what? for harry potter for harry potter yes. i did not know that it was a draco fanfic oh that my gosh she wrote That's and then amazing. transformed into to its own world and when you know that you can see it you can see well now i have to reread them to see that i mean i own them all yeah interesting so i didn't no, know that no shade on fanfic i love fanfic it is fantastic but it's kind of neat to be like oh you took the you know something people look down on fanfic but it's not look what well, it can do there there are a lot of stories that have come out that started as fanfic yeah and maybe we'll talk about that in a future episode oh we should this series that starts with city of bones i really like it because cassandra claire does a great job of weaving plots and character building together and making her stories very engrossing rather than just fun fast reads series has a lot more drama and it feels kind of like you're diving into a supernatural soap opera but it's written in a way that doesn't make it seem as far-fetched as it would if i tried to summarize it so i'm not going to you do have like the premise of the story is that you have clary who's the main character in the city of bones series that finds out she's actually a shadow hunter which is a descendant from a fallen angel whose purpose on earth is to protect mortals from those in the underworld like warlocks demons werewolves vampires Adults in this series are either just MIA or they're causing problems. So it's up to this group of teenagers who have a lot of teen (laughs) drama and love triangles and all of this ridiculous turning 
molehills into mountains kind of drama, they're stuck with saving the world repeatedly. The early 2000s, you know, was just full of that in literature and film and it TV. Really, and really radio. was. There, where were the parents? Where, where, where were the where, where were the adults in this situation? I feel like this is the uh, angst of latchkey kids coming out in fiction. Yes. Because it's about that age group. Yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah. The characters in the stories in this whole series are really well written. They're written in a way that's compelling. It's engaging, despite how dramatic it is. And the series, as it goes further, gets to the point of ridiculous, where you're just like, wait, what is happening? <laughs> But the buildup to it makes it so that in this world, logically, that could happen. And you're like, okay, it feels kind of like Grey's Anatomy going from season one to season 20. And you're like, how did I do this in three books? Or Lost going from season one to season anything past five. Yes. It's very, very much a soap opera. It's very dramatic and very love triangle-y. Yeah. And- <laughs> you know, getting people out of issues, but it's just really, it's still a really well-written series. Cassandra Clare is very good at her craft. She is. Yeah. The reason I picked this series for this chapter is that the magic system they have is really cool. It uses a stele, which is kind of like a magic wand, but it doesn't do anything besides draw runes to draw rune marks on the body of a shadow hunter or a building, or it just draws runes. But you have these ancient runes that bestow a specific power onto them based on the meaning of the rune. Some are permanent, some wear off. On the ta- on the shadow hunters, it's very tattoo-esque. And I think they did a good job of demonstrating that with the TV show Shadow Hunters. I remember that, yeah. Some of the runes have a physical toll. It takes the toll on the wearer when they exude that kind of power for a a short burst of time. There's a price to be paid for the rune that's used, which I appreciate. There's also this whole rite of passage when shadow hunter children come of age and they get their first rune around the same same time as a child would get baptized. And she creates this whole world and history around this magic system and ties biblical references to it in a way that creates a suspension of disbelief where the idea that this could be happening without mortals noticing because of how well it is all shrouded and protected as a secret feels plausible. It was a really cool magic system to me. I really liked it. I remember watching, I was either watching the TV show or reading the book. I honestly can't remember, but there's one part where they go into a nightclub. It's like the very first scene in the show. And it's like the, one of the very first scenes in the book. So this is not a spoiler. Yeah. So they're, no, no, it's super not. No. But they go into the nightclub and I remember thinking, people should be noticing what's going on. Why are they not seeing, I don't know, these like demons and things. And then I got so swept up into it that I thought I could be one of those humans and honestly not know what's going on around me. I would have no idea. And it's right there. I mean, let's be honest though. We tend to be really oblivious to things we're not paying, Mm -hmm. like we're not trying to focus on or pay attention to. And that was in high school. Yeah. My mother was going to be gone for Easter. I was like a senior in high school and they, her and my dad were going to be gone. And so she hid Easter eggs around the house so that I could find them and have this cute little Easter activity, even though she wasn't going to be home. She hid them a week before Easter and she called me on Easter morning and she said, Hey, did how many Easter eggs have you found so far? And I went, what? And she goes, I hid neon colored Easter eggs around the house. You're telling me you haven't seen any of them. And I said, I had no idea you hid Easter eggs around the house. So I literally start walking up the stairs to try to see what she's talking about. And there is a bright yellow egg on top of this little mirror that sat at the top of the stairs and it was bright yellow and staring me in the face and I hadn't noticed for a week. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> we're, we're not so good at noticing things and so, Cassandra Clare does a good job of pointing that out. 100% agree. I felt a little called out like I would be one of those mundanes that just didn't notice anything, which that's what mortals are called in this series is mundane because they're very average and basic and nothing special to them, which I thought was an interesting categorization. And I don't like 
like the idea of not being special, but I would definitely be a mundane and I would definitely be oblivious. <laughs> Annie. Me too. <laughs> what about you? What what books are in your stack? So I also, I've got two series and one standalone, but I was not as nice to people as Sydney and my series are still ongoing. Sorry, <laughs> I just, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't think about it. And as I was putting together my list, I thought of so many other titles that are finished, but I went with these ones anyway. Sometimes we have to just pick our favorites and yep. that's okay too. Yeah. So the first one I chose is uh, Legend Born by Tracy Dion. Uh, it was published in 2020. And, you know, because I chose recent books, uh, the second book is coming out this year. Awesome. So I really, really liked this book. It, I don't know, it just really spoke to me. I, I just really liked it. So it follows the uh, story of a character named Brie Matthews and she's 16. So we're looking at YA fantasy here. She gets accepted into a high school program at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And a few weeks before she starts at UNC, her mother is killed in a car accident. The details surrounding her death and when Brie goes to the hospital, her memory is wiped from those things. So she remembers going to the hospital, but she doesn't remember the details of what happened to her mother. Uh, She remembers someone coming in and telling her information, but she doesn't remember what that information is. As she she starts thinking about it more and more. She starts to question what she knows and what she doesn't because she shouldn't know some of the things that she does and she should know more than she does. Was she so, in the car? She was not in the car, no. Okay. It was an angsty fight. Oh, this is not a one spoiler. Of those. Oh. It was an angsty fight. Her mother didn't want her going to the college program, but she wanted to go. They got in a fight. Mom drove away. This happens in like the first chapter. It's fine. Yeah. And so then she goes to the hospital with her dad and he's all like, oh, it's my fault. You know, why? So during her first week on campus, she goes to a party at a cliff because, you know, you go cliff jumping when you're a freshman and you're 16 and sees more things that she shouldn't, such as glowing beasts and metal swords and people moving faster than they should and being able to lift things that they shouldn't. In the coming weeks, she starts to notice more and more things and she starts getting involved in these things against her father and deceased mother's wishes. Through those experiences, she becomes closer to her mother and closer to the secrets that surrounded her mother's death. What I liked about this book is it goes into King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, which is not something that I've seen for a while. No, that had a that had a peak and yeah. it then petered it out. Did. And this is so you and feel like this is kind back. of reviving it. But that's no. where my brain went when you mentioned glowing swords and uh-huh. water. So yeah. I don't think it's coming back, but the series has just... a second book, so it'll be okay. She gets involved in fraternities. I don't know about you guys, but fraternities and sororities were not my thing when I was in college. I didn't care. But the idea It's very of... much like the trope of the canonical Right. You know, the, the epitome of the, the college experience. Right. Right. And, and none of and us get, did that. No we, no, we got it vicariously because of where we lived when we went to the university and that was more than enough for me. That was plenty. Yeah. 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 I have students now, previous students that are in sororities and fraternities and I look at their pictures and think, yeah, I didn't do that. Okay. I did a semester abroad instead. I called it good. Yeah. That was way more of a fun experience that was yeah. memorable and in all of the positive ways yeah. instead of the drama that comes with right. living in a house full of other girls. Yeah, no. But 
what I liked about this is it goes into secret fraternities and like the historical ones that no one knows about that you secretly find and get involved with. And you can't tell your roommate because you're 16 and don't want to talk about the things that you probably should talk about. And then there, so there's the Arthurian magic going on, which is very white, very <laughs> European, oh, very boy. patriarchal. It just is what No diversity. Is. Oh. Right. And you know, the castle and just, yeah, white people having white kids, having white kids passing down the things. But Brie is black. <laughs> it is. Oh. It is. Okay. So Brie is black and she shows up to one of their parties and they go, mm, you something does not look like the others. So she starts to feel this like pull to the fraternity because of the magic, but also this pushback because she's black entering an all white patriarchal society. Okay. But then it brings in earth magic that came from slavery. So, hmm. and I don't want to spoil too much, but she has like these conflicting magic systems, this very systematic one, this very disciplined Arthur round table night goes down through the lineage it is what it is and then this very organic word for it yeah we'll go with that this very organic rules can change based on circumstance magic and it's just interesting to see how those things compete and how they work together and and it was really really good and kind of the difference between I was born into this versus this is something I want and the choices that can be made within a magical system so that was really cool oh okay so the second book is coming out later this year and I'm going to read it because I really, really liked the first one. I really liked Legendborn and it left me on a cliffhanger. Oh, so she must have known she had a because she wrote a second book pretty quick and left you on a cliffhanger. It's kind of like Harry Potter where there's magic in our world, but only wielded by a select few. And I want to be part of that few, like real bad. I think it'd be cool to go fight the hellhounds that are coming through a magical gate and wield a giant sword. I just think that I would mean, be super fun. I think all of us, if given the chance, would be like, <laughs> yes, I want to be part of a magic world. Right? I want to do that thing please sign me up and I would be okay with either magic you know the one that that is steeped in centuries of lore or the one that came from a very terrible 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 thing in our history but brought a power to those that came from it so the second book that I chose is children of blood and bone by Tomi Adeyemi this has been on my list for so long has it yes yeah Uh, since this one came out yes it is so pretty the cover is gorgeous I think right after it came out. I don't know why, but I did. It was very highly promoted. It was very, it was. Uh, like it was. people just right out of the gate were saying how amazing this book was and we couldn't yeah. keep it on the shelves. No? Yeah, it was constantly out. So it's a good one. So it came out in 2018. Book two was published in 2019. And according to Goodreads, the third book is coming out, but it is untitled. Should so it's probably out. a little ways out then. Yeah, 2018, 2019. You know, things happened in 2020, 2021. I understand. Okay. It's like Bruno. We just don't talk about it. Except when we do. And then they come out. But we have to sing about it. We do. And we have to give the person a chance to tell their side of the story. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. Again, I have four four children. (sighs) So the whole series is called The Legacy of Orisha. It has a series title. So this one is based on Nigerian folklore magic. And I, I think that's part of why it got the buzz that it did. Because it's you know 2018 we're looking at diversity we're bringing in different cultures uh, and this one definitely brought in other things uh i've read 
lots of fantasy since then. And, and this is the first time I remember reading the word Orisha. That might just be my experience versus other people. Um, but I feel like there are a lot of books coming out since then that have Orisas, that have Orishas, that have the same type of vocabulary. It's, it is a, it is an actual magical practice. It is. Um, yeah. I, I don't know too much about it, but I do know it mm-hmm. tends to be fairly closed off. So, and a big part of that is, you know, when you talk about colonialism and how it wipes out mm-hmm. people's histories, I do think there's mm-hmm a factor in there of why it's so closed off so that yeah. might be for protection or because yeah. people that had yeah it that makes killed. sense all of the above cool that makes sense i mean this... not cool but and people don't want it appropriated yeah mm-hmm. i think is a part that of it sense. too yeah i feel like this this would probably celebrate it more like is that a yes no definitely yeah well, but that's i think that's books... why it's not such a big i mean we, we hear about voodoo and you hear about all of that stuff and a lot right. of that is from new orleans and how it's very mm-hmm. celebrated yes. which it should be but i think that's part of it is it's more and people don't want to talk about it because it's not like in your earlier book it's not european magic and so we don't want to right. talk about that because it's, well, both it's of, bad it, it must be dark in air quotes because it's not yes yeah well both so, of the books that i've read that have this magic system with the orishas are both they both deal with colonialism they both deal with slavery and so from my perspective i both of the magic the books that include this magic system have not been appropriated they are celebration of it no no yeah yeah and so no it's good to see what i'm trying to say is like it's good to see this magic system coming out and it's also good to see that it's not being, that it's being celebrated and not tarnished and not taken over. Yeah. Because I think it is complicated with the history. Well, and I think that. that complication is what makes the history rich. It's what makes it worth learning about and, and diving into and being a part of is that it's, it's recognizing that things are not simple. Yeah. And that we're very complicated with very complex backgrounds and complex mm-hmm. cultures. And it's, it's amazing to see this kind of stuff coming out in a mainstream book because it is, it's showing, Hey, it's not just European centric, yo. Right. And that's one of the reasons I picked up this book is because I thought this is going to introduce me to an entirely new continent mm-hmm. that also has a history of folklore and magic and religious practices. And I should probably know about those. It would be a good thing for me to read. So this follows all of that. You know, the character Zelly has a mother who was a reaper, meaning that she was able to talk with the dead and care for the souls of the departed. But then, you know, speaking of colonialism, the king came in, killed all the Orisha and took away the magic, which included her mother. And so she's raised without magic, but then discovers that she's capable of it and goes on her quest to bring it back. And she gets to ride mystical animals. And it's just this fantastic adventure that she goes on through jungles that are typical to African nations and deserts that are typical to African nations. And it was just really interesting to read about a magical system that is so steeped in culture that's not mine and I was able to find similarities honestly some of these magical systems are older Mm -hmm. than what we see in European folklore they've been around for centuries I think sometimes we forget that there were peoples on other continents and so it's interesting to see how they're similar how they're different things like that so when her magic is lying dormant she's searching for the magic scroll to bring it back and that's going to heal her land and it's going to make everything great and she will not feel oppressed anymore. It's your typical story, but again, filled with things that 
we don't typically see because of where we live. There's a little bit of romance because it is YA. I'm going to throw that out there. There's romance. (laughs) It's, Hey, I think you're cute. Oh, but hang on. My family might not agree. Hang on. But you know, there's all that in there, Uh, which made me a little bit angry because I did not want that to be happening in the background. I just wanted to read about the magic. But it did add depth because you're able to find out things about Zelly and about the other characters that you wouldn't know without dialogue. So it's okay. (laughs) You sound so begrudging about this. (laughs) Well, because I would be like so into the story and then I would remember, oh, that's right. They're teenagers and they're going through puberty and they have feelings. But hang on, I really want to read about that bird. I really want to read about that bird that I've never seen, that I've never heard of before. Why do we care about your feelings? It's okay. Yes. I have a friend who is really <laughs> great about, she's just one of, she's just a really good human, but you'll see something. And I think we're taught very much to dismiss our feelings as, you know, it's probably, you know, it's, I'm, I'm probably yeah. being stupid, but I just feel this way. You know, we no, always qualify not. or quantify and yeah. she, I've tried to adopt her technique of looking at someone and going, your feelings are valid. I appreciate this. Here's why I think that it might not be the way you think it is. So when you're talking about teenagers and all their feelings, because, you know, I am in a high school and I'm stuck with watching all of those feelings unravel every day. I just go, your feelings are valid but here's why maybe we're looking at this in the wrong way. And so as you're talking about all of these teenagers, just stupid feelings, that's all that's running through my, the back of my head. <laughs> They're important. I have to validate that you're allowed to feel, but also you're, you're allowed to feel your feelings. Your feelings allowed, are valid. Mm-hmm. It's you're a allowed good to feel them, feel but you're feelings. also responsible for how you behave with them. So yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Very much. Yes. So going with the typical YA plot, they have to save the world before a certain time or everything is doomed. Oh, uh, Oh no. I know, right? They have to save the world before the moon, (laughs) you know, before the specific moon or else. Yeah. So it's a typical Tuesday. It is. Yes. Yes. (laughs) With white hair. Their hair, just the discussion of their hair in this book is amazing. Oh, it's high fantasy for the cover. Yes. It does make sense with the cover. It does. It's high fantasy magic. So magic in a magical world. There are still a select few, but everyone knows it's happening. Okay. Everyone is aware. There are a lot of words that are either, I'm pretty sure she made these up, but I could be wrong because they seem to be hybrids. And so it it took me a little while to get into the vocabulary of the book. I'm okay with new systems, but I'm not always okay with new vocabulary and a new system. What's an example? So an example would be a snow leponaire, okay, which is like a leopard, but giant and doesn't, to me, it looked like more of a lynx with spiky ears, but then was spotted and giant. Okay. Okay. So it was just a different hybrid than I'm used to. Okay. So it just took me a minute to get into the vocabulary of the book. But once I got into it, I was fine. And then I have not read book two yet because I got a little distracted with other books, but I will because I know my library has it. You had two kids. I did. Like you were a little busy for a minute. Yeah. Just a little bit. (laughs) Okay. So the third book that I chose is The Night Circus by Erin Morgenstern. This one came out in 2011. I went way back and it has no sequel. She recently came out with another book and people thought it was a sequel, but it is not a sequel to the night circus. This one's a standalone. And this book continues to be on book lists again and again and again, even though it came out in 2011. The night circus is not YA fantasy magic. It's not, it's adult, but I don't see why a young adult teenager couldn't read it. I don't think there's anything in there that would turn them off. Just the difference of plot structure. The story is that there is magic hiding under the guise of a traveling circus and are two companions 
competing magicians are Marco and Celia, and they're apprenticed by old wizards. And their job is to keep the circus going. No one knows where the circus will pop up and it only runs at night. And Marco and Celia, I'd say they're in their early twenties. They are told they're in a competition with someone. They're not told when it will end, who they're competing against, how it will end, what the prize will be. They're not told any of that. They don't even know when it will start. They're just told you are in a competition, ready, go. So this follows their training up into maybe the competition because even the reader doesn't really know if it started or not. And then it takes you through the end. So you're able to see these, I mean, Celia and Marco start apprenticing when they're young children. And so you're able to see how they learn their magic, how they have to practice and practice and practice and practice and how they get better throughout the book, which is kind of cool. They continue, they have to continue to one up each other in the circus, creating more and more tents to prove who is the better magician. So you have this magic world going on and then the night circus is taking place in our world. So you also have people who are just visiting the circus who are excited that the circus, you know, the night circus is here. It's so exciting. It's so mystical. And you have people just showing up, going in and out of these tents, but then knowing that the circus is going to end and they're going to have to go back to their lives without it. It takes place in the early 1900s, late 1800s. Okay. So at one point, a giant clock is made and everyone is amazed by this giant clock and the things that it can do because we're looking at, you know, the time period of intervention, right? Some of the tents that they make are one of them creates a maze of infinite clouds and you can just jump from cloud to cloud to cloud and you can't find the exit unless you fall, but you don't fall to your death. You just fall to the exit. Fall to the exit. <laughs> it's really cool. Like I would love to go to the circus and enjoy yeah. some of the tents. Um, another one is a room with a wishing tree. There's a room that's like a garden of ice, but not cold. Celia, one of the apprentices, has a room where she does all of her illusions. And then Marco is the one who creates the opening ceremony fire that actually begins the circus. In this world, there is there are magicians that just do illusion magic, like what we see if you go to a magic show. And so Celia, her magic can sometimes look like illusion, but then there's this air of, hang on, she actually did that. Like she actually pulled a rabbit out of a hat where there really wasn't one before. I know that's real magic. So the humans aren't just watching things. They're not oblivious to what's going on. They know something special is going on with the night circus, which is kind of cool. They do fall in love. Of course they do. Because they can. But it doesn't distract from the actual story. It adds to it. It adds to the air of mystery and what's real, what's not, what's fantastical and what is just ordinary. And I'm really, really hoping that this one gets turned into a movie. I think that would be fantastic. I don't think it has. And I don't, I wonder if it's like Dune where if they tried to make a movie, it would be terrible until we have the technology to make it happen. And I feel like we have the technology now. Yeah. And I feel like if they did this one, because of like, I know what the cover looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the way you've described the it, like gorgeous. if they don't get it just right, um, I know it it could really, yeah. really flop. It'll and either sure be amazing people... or it'll be terrible and it will not be in between. Yeah. yeah. And people have been saying, I'm sure for 10 years, I would love to see this as a movie, but I would hate to see it as a terrible movie. That would make me so sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it were turned into a movie, it would be red and black and white because that's how the night circus is. Hmm. And it would be fantastic. Question. I really liked this book. I keep giving it away. Like here, borrow this. Yeah, here, borrow this. But also I bought it for you. So please don't give it back <laughs> because I already have a copy. <laughs> But it's really good. So you conjured that, your own copy to give books. away. I love I know, that. I just, mm. So question, Annie. Yeah. Yeah. Without spoilers, 
Mm-hmm. Do you find out who created the competition or what happens with the competition? So you know who created it from the beginning. Okay. okay. Their two mentors are the ones that started it. And they know from a young age that they are part of this. They get branded. So they know. They just don't know who the other person is. Like three quarters of the way through the book, you find out what will happen at the end of the competition. Okay. And at the end of the book, something does happen because it's a standalone book. Something has to happen. Okay. So it does resolve. It does resolve. Yes. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it brings in the unmagic people also to the resolution. Mm. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's really cool. It makes me wish that I was alive in that time to see if the night circus was real or not. Like I know it wasn't. But you want it but, to be. But I really want it to be. Because <laughs> I think I would get chosen as one of the humans to like participate in a dream. Anyway. All right, Nia. What books do you have? So, I mean, you joke that you threw back for 2011 for yours. Uh, the first one <laughs> I'm starting with is called The Changeling War by Peter Garrison. And it came out in 1999. I feel like you win. I mean, yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You win. I, I mean, I beat Annie because mine was 2007, but, mm. but yeah, Nia so, wins. Yeah. This one. But I yours mean, it, was a series that was continuing Sydney. That's true. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So this is a trilogy. It is called The Changeling Saga, but there are only three books. It's kind of funny because I picked it up on a whim when I was in Portland several years ago at Powell's and I'm it was jealous. used. They had all three there. I'm really glad I bought all three. The back has almost nothing to go on. And if you look it up in Goodreads or Amazon or anything like that, there's nothing to go on for what this plot is. It's very, very minimal, but I'm glad I picked up all three because you finish the first book and book two picks up right where the second or where the first one ends up. Oh, wow. Book three picks up right where the second one ends. And it would have been miserable waiting for these to come out. But it's a very, very good tale of two different worlds existing parallel to each other. And they're connected by a magical labyrinth that opens up in specific places or is sent by specific people to go back and forth. And very, very few cross over. But they do have changelings that go back and forth between these two worlds, hence the name of the title. But it talks about how that's not always really easy for the kids that get changed, like changed out. A lot of them would go mad or have problems. And by the time they're older, any magical abilities they have from castle, the castle, which is the one world where magic is, are pretty much gone by the time they're adults, except for maybe one or two things they can do there. They almost look like simple parlor tricks by that point. But you have the world, which is like our world, has technology, has all that stuff, and the castle, which is where magic is. And you have some very unlikely heroes. I really liked how Peter Garrison took some of these some of these people who you would never write as a hero and made them heroes. So you have your teenagers, of course, this is adult fiction though, but you do have two, two teenagers that are friends. They are just friends. They're very good friends because they're both a little, <laughs> they're different, but you I love that Brian. they're just friends though. I love that. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm thinking it could be a platonic just... relationship. What? They're, they're 16 years old. They're just really good friends. You have two gangsters that are kind of mobster gangster guys from ye olde Italian mob <laughs> <laughs> who are, you know, one of them does play a stereotype of he's not really that bright, but you know, he's not too bad. He, you know, he just does things the way they are. He can't do a lot of things. He stumps up. He can do really well. And his cousin, who's doesn't really want to be doing, you know, a lot of wet work with the mob. He really wants to be more legit, but you can't be completely legit when you're part of the family, but they become pretty endearing characters. And then you have the little old wise woman that also pops in there too. You have a little old wise guy that pops up from the castle too. He's a wrinkly old madman who pops up out of secret passages in the forest. <laughs> He's one of my favorite Love characters. all of these characters. <laughs> he's just whimsical and he knows he's, you know, a little off because he sees things in the future and seers are never really, really all the way here. So they sound a little crazy because they know more. And you have a disenfranchised knight as well. So who's not, he's kind of a screw up and he knows it. There's metal constructs 
with very complex egos that are in here too. That's kind of a golem or like a Gilgamesh-esque figure who's very loud and very opinionated. Wow, this covers all the things. Yeah. All characters Um, are represented. Yep. You've got some pretty interesting antagonists too that are actually really dark and really brutal and they use some very dark magic. You taught we've talked a lot about how you have a cost for any kind of magic. Theirs is very, they lose pieces of themselves or they lose, you know, it's life giving their taking to do these things like it's very very dark but it does again it talks about changelings it talks about what it likes to feel like other you know you exist in this world and maybe you just don't fit and how do you make that work it is a little slow to start i mean the first chapter does kind of pull you in and definitely read the prologue but to get it all set up because you have all of these characters in two separate worlds that are trying to configure, it's a little slow going to get it going. Once you go though, you are going hundred miles an hour, full speed, and you will read all three. Oh, wow. So, but just know it's a little slow to start with, but I love that you can get between the worlds if you know where the doors are. And if you have a key to get through, which makes it a really just a very interesting way uh, to make it all work. The second book is called The Sorcerer's Gun, which I mentioned because you have technology in the one world and magic in the other. Well, what happens if you bring one into the other? I was wondering how that title was going to work. There it is. Yeah, there we go. There it is. Maybe maybe that gun that's just a simple point and click doesn't actually work that way in a magical Mm -hmm. world. So yeah, so that mm-hmm. that is the first one from my stack. That's a trilogy. My next one is four book series. It's the Enchanted Forest Chronicles. The first one is Dealing with Dragons by Patricia Reed. I don't think Patricia Reed gets enough fanfare. She writes really incredible books. And this one came out in 1990. So you went even one, farther back. I did. This is probably one of my favorite series of all time. I mean, my mind were starting to fall apart when I had to retire them and get the ebooks. It's a kid's book, maybe fifth grade. Like it's it's an earlier chapter book. It's when they've established you can read a chapter book so a little more complex than like Captain Underpants. I'm thinking like space on the the page when I say that like nothing against Captain Underpants. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I I would say I would say text, maybe a little bit big, bigger margins than you would with YA. Right. But still chapter headings, mm-hmm. maybe a picture at the beginning of the chapter. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's what you're looking at. It has been reprinted several times, several times since it came out in 1990. It is very non-traditional. The series centers on Simmerine, who's a princess that's interested in everything a princess is not supposed to be interested in, like sword fighting or cooking or magical studies. <laughs> and when her family tells her that she can't do those things, so she'll start working on one, they'll be like, no, 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 go over here and do cross stitch. And she'll be like, but I'm go do some needlepoint. <laughs> exactly. She decides, fine, she's going to run away and go live with the dragon, which is probably the only like traditional princess thing that she's ever done. Like you do. Like you do. But the whole magical system that runs along in this world, you have different kinds depending on who has it. The dragons have their own type of magic that revolves around them and what they can do. You have a magical forest that is held together by, it's almost woven together with magical threads. And hmm. the king of the enchanted forest can manipulate those threads and he's the only one that can usually feel hmm. them. You have the antagonists who are the wizards who fuel their magic by sucking magic and life out of everything else around them. Mm. So again, it goes into that cost. It goes into that balance and it goes into all those different things. And you have what I really like too with with the dragons is they have the king of dragons. It's a title. It is not gender-based. And they actually talk about that. They point out that it is a title. It has nothing to do with gender. So this is back in 1990. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yep. Wow. Yep. So it has the whole series itself 
you know, you have magical potions and magical items and magical lamps. How do you get around dealing with a genie that was supposed to demolish everything when you let them out accidentally? Oops. It goes into how you <laughs> handle that. You have magical swords and you have, you know, cauldrons that never run out of food. You make a recipe and there's enough food for everybody. And I swear I have family that had one of these. Well, I mean, let's be <laughs> honest. You grew so, up in a very traditional Greek family. Like I did. feeding people is a love language. It is. So all I could think about when you talked about that pot was a uh, Stregonona. Yeah. Did you guys read that book? Yeah. Oh, Stregonona yeah. and her pot of never ending pasta. Yep. No. Took so, over yeah. Took the city. <laughs> yeah. This is a little more controlled as long as you know <laughs> okay. the magical words to tell it to stop. <laughs> Always good to know these things, you know? So you also pull, it's also got some touch of folklore in there too. They do reference Rumpelstiltskin. You have the whole living in a shoe at one point of pulling from a different folklore stories. So it's, she took a lot of different lore and a lot of different, she put a lot of thought into the different magical systems and how they coexist and how they don't. So that one's why this one's on my list or on my stack is I, I love the series and I've given, I've given copies of this one away because it's so good. I I love books that you, you love so much that you're like, here, please read this book. Let me buy the whole box set. Yeah. Like I've bought them for family and been like, I've been waiting for you to be old enough to read these here. Yes. (laughs) I did that. I've done that multiple times with uh, girl on fire and thorns. I think, I think books are their own love language too and sharing them. I agree. So I agree. The last one in my stack is a newer one. It came out in 2016. The first one came out in 2016. It's called The Vagrant uh, by Peter Newman. It is technically a trilogy, but there are two like half books, which is something new I've seen with some of the series that have come out is you have the primary plot and then you have like between books. It's a four book series, but then you have three halves. There's book one, book two, book three, and book four. And then there's book one and a half, book two and a half. (sighs) What? Like they kind of insert novellas. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or it'll come from the perspective of a different character because she got an, or the author got enough emails to write about the other character. Yeah. So this one has book one, book one and a half, book two, book two and a half, and book three. I have not read the rest of the series yet because I was in grad school when I found this one and this is where it stopped for me, but it is really, really well done. I will give a heads up. You are dealing with the main plot and then you have flashbacks to how the character who is only known as the vagrant, he has no name. He lost his name and they talk about how that happens as the plot develops, but it opens up. He cannot speak and he is carrying a tiny new infant with him and you're going, how did I get here? And it starts with him trying to negotiate for medicine because the baby is sick, but he can't speak. Everything is complicated. And then you add a baby Mm -hmm. as a reader, I start to wonder how can you even function? How can you even function? Your life was so hard as it was. And now you're carrying around a baby. So in a very, like you, you, the world has had a giant dimensional rift. There are giant demonic animals or like creatures coming out. They are going after him. Why are they going after him? Is it because of him? or the sword or his past or the baby. We don't know. You don't know. Where is he going? I just want know. answers. So, just tell me what I need to know. Right. Or at least eliminate one of those things. Take out the, just like, one of them. Allude to a couple things so I can jump to some conclusions. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. But you are immediately pulled in. You have magical swords. You have whatever caused the rift and whatever is fueling that. You have different factions doing different things to each other because what else do you do in a post-apocalyptic world? Right. Um, (laughs) 
there's consequences for the magic you use. There's consequences for the actions you take. Again, the timeline, you're just like, I want to know what happened. Why isn't this in order? I just don't know. But you do find out where the baby comes from. And you do find out, like, <laughs> you do find that out in this first book. You don't have to wait. I like how we're all worried about the baby. <laughs> so, well, the two parents are worried about the baby. I was like, <laughs> what happened to the guy? Why can't that's he speak? That's you true. find that out too. You do find that out too. Oh, good. Because that's um, where I would like, I'm not going to lie. You started talking about everything else and I kind of forgot there was a baby for a minute. But again, <laughs> I'm not a mother. So <laughs> it's like, you know, that's not my concern. That's you're someone not on else's problem. With that. I am not on um, autopilot. Very true. I do really like how he told the story. It's got a very good pace. It just, I want to get more into how the sword works but I can't because it is a major spoiler. So just know the magical oh. sword in here and the magic working behind it is so complex, but I can't get too much into it without being a huge spoiler. So if you want to know, I highly recommend picking up this book. So it's, that's my third one. And it's, it is a complete series. All three of the ones I have are complete series. So if you need to keep yourself distracted while we wait for Annie's, the rest of Annie's to come out, <laughs> you have some between Sydney and I to, uh, to paste yourself there. Two of us um, were nice to you. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. So I will say with these magic systems, it's been hard not to give spoilers. It yeah. is. It's so it's really hard because that's such a big part of the story. Is well, and it's why we get so excited for when we talk about the magic systems we like, it's because of what happens with that magic system. Yeah. That we're like, oh my gosh, I love it. It's when, so hard. And then you can't finish that <laughs> sentence. Right. Yeah. It's right. so yeah. amazing when spoiler happens. It's just amazing. <laughs> it blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> So those are, those are the ones from my stacks. Well, thank you for sharing. So Sydney, what are you reading? What are you picking up next? Where are you going? I have two books that I'm juggling right now. We both know I'm a history nerd. So <laughs> I, I just finished Powers and Thrones by Dan Jones. So I immediately jumped into another Dan Jones book, The Templars. And it goes is into- Is that a sequel? No, it's just okay. Dan Jones is really good at telling history in a narrative fashion where he tells a story with different people's names and he kind of makes you feel like you're understanding who is involved in what's going on and the Templars is the rise and fall of the actual group the Templars and it goes through what stories are real about the Templars and what some of the mythology around the Templars is untrue like the the Holy Grail and things like that hmm. so I am I'm about halfway through that book and I'm deeply enjoying learning about Dan Jones is fantastic. If you like history, he's a fantastic writer. I also am picking up The Art of Coaching by Elena Aguilar because I am leaving the classroom at the end of the school year and I'm becoming an instructional coach. And this book is all about the nuance and the skills and the, the reasoning behind some of the techniques that work well with instructional coaching. So this is a book that will help in your everyday life. Yes, this is this is not a book for pleasure. This is a book for this is a book for helping with the future. So I am very excited to share with our listeners that I am advancing and getting promoted and, and I'm very, very excited. You should be excited. It's you should be. We're so happy for you. I, I am diving into some of the books that I know are going to be assigned over the summer and I didn't want to wait. So I'm doing no it reason now. To. <laughs> that makes sense. Makes sense. Those are the two that I am juggling back and forth. Annie, what about you? So I'm finishing up Skin of the Sea by Natasha Bowen and it's about my mermaids and slavery back <laughs> when there were slave ships. I know it's the, a lot of, of the it's two, you know, when, when you think about mermaids, you think about slavery. Like, <laughs> well, I finished the feather thief. So I learned about Victorian fly tying and now I'm going to read about mermaids and slavery and slave ships. So, you know, I, my reading is very vast and, and wide, but I, I really enjoy that one. It's 
I think it came out this year and it's really, really good. And then after I finish that one, probably by Thursday, I'll pick up Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr, which I've said I'm going to pick up again and again and again, but now I actually have it from the library on my phone. So I will read it because (laughs) I can. Yep. All right, Nia, what are you reading? I have picked up um, a book called Unfuck Your Boundaries by Faith G. Harper. And it's talking about reestablishing healthy boundaries with work and your personal life. It was a spinoff from one of her other books. She is a therapist. So this is her field. And I guess she wrote one, I believe it was for something involving work. I wish I could remember now off the top of my head. But this book, it came about because everyone was like, we really want you to talk about boundaries. We want you to talk about how to do that stuff. So uh, I have the book. I actually picked up the workbook to go with it today. So I have the ebook and then the print one to actually like fill it cool. through it. I love that. So I'm working with that one and I'm still trying to read Shadows of the Dead by Spencer Cope, which is nothing against Spencer Cope or his writing, but my brain, if I have the chance to actually sit and read, I tried to read last night and it went eight different directions instead of what I was reading. I feel that on a down. daily basis, but I don't, yep. I don't have a mom. I, I don't have momnesia. Yeah. I, momnesia, I just, sleep deprivation. Yeah. I got sleep and my brain went, Ooh, we're powered now. Voomp, and it went everywhere. <laughs> so, so that yeah. is what I am picking up and or reading. All right, friends, thanks for listening to this chapter of the book stack. As we sign off, we'd like to leave you with some food for thought, and we'll see you next time when we bring out some of the untouched books from our stacks, discussing why we bought them from the bookstore or checked them out from the library, but never actually read them. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Bookstack Trio and follow us at Bookstack Trio on Instagram and Facebook to see a full listing of the books we have mentioned in our stacks. And Nia, do you want to mention the new place they can find us? Yeah, you can also find us on the web at bookstacktrio.com. Thank you. So many ways to follow us and see what we're talking about and be reminded about what we have talked about. In a library, we are surrounded by many hundreds of dear friends, but they are imprisoned by an enchanter in these paper and leathern boxes. Ralph Waldo Emerson. <laughs> <laughs>